0: But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now.
1: Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry?
0: Hello, welcome to Richard Training's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. I'm not at the Leicester Square Theatre right now, I'm here in the nerve centre of my office. This is where all my crazy ideas come from. They don't that's not where I get them from, it's where they come to. And then I write them down on the computer that I'm currently talking to you via. That's how it works, but I can't tell you. Where they come from, I can just tell you where they're right, and it is here. This week's episode is sponsored by Deville Film. Deville Film make fab films from broadcast music videos, documentaries, adverts, corporate projects, or a lovely little online promo for that independent coffee shop you run with a marvelous selection of cakes. I think that's just an example. I think they'll do it for any business you have. They've been very specific there. It might be, well, I don't run a coffee shop. Can I use them? Yes, you can. They've made a list. They've made a mistake of making a list. They'll do what? They'll do a film of any kind for anyone. Not that. That. Not that kind. You disgust me. Uh, we'll make the most of your budget and even buy the first round in the pub. Probably. Uh, go to www.devilfilm.com. Drop us a line today. Starting your message with the code RAHLASTAPA, RAHLASTAPA, to receive ten percent off your film with us. Not bad, eh? What else do you want? The moon on a stick. Uh, don't forget, also, you can come to the Leicester Square Theatre to see me performing my run of 12 shows. You've missed the first two, but uh, this weekend, let mentioned mention there, 12 shows, August the 7th. Uh, the second weekend is uh, 12 Tars of Hercules Terrace and something like that. They go on, go to leicestersquaretheatre.com or com and you can read all about those. Do come along and support me. If you can, support Deville Film. They've been fantastic. Uh, and they have brought you, along with the people who contributed to the Kickstarter campaign, they have brought you this episode. Of rehearsed to, rehearse to Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who plans to build a dry stone wall during this show. It's Richard Harry! <laughs> wow, gods! They're so much better than the cunts we had in last week. They were awful! They were terrible people. Uh, so welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Or as uh, some of the cool kids are calling it, Rahal Osterpah. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, I promised this audience that uh, I would give away... We had these uh, mugs, so the Rahal Osterpah... Oh, good, well done, Andy. McH was first in, as as you'd expect. Uh, it was. Uh, these are made for the Kickstarter campaign, so thank you very much to everyone who uh, paid enough to get one of these. Uh, they have been sent out already. The rest of the stuff is in the post. It should be with you by now. God would hope, but it's taken me a long time to make the T-shirts. I haven't st- I've got to dr- dr- draw around my hand. Hand, I think nine hundred times. <laughs> I haven't started doing that yet. I don't know how long that will take. Um, there's a very good chance I won't write my new show or learn any of the other shows because I'm drawing my, my own hand on a piece of card. I have to wait for the special bits of card. They're going to be very special. But we made 99 of these and only about uh, 50 of them were given out to Kickstarter. So we're selling them at the at the theatres. And as I was saying to the people here, these will be worth a lot of money on eBay because a lot of you out there will be jealous. of It, it says uh, hot drink for a cool kid on there. Uh, very good. Uh, so um, I'm going to give one of these away free. I have a question for the audience. The first person who gives the correct answer will win this literally priceless mug. (laughs) It's priceless. Uh, What day is International Wazzock Day? (laughs) Pardon? Wednesday. No. 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 Even Andy McCage says, it is March 9th. I don't think if you can have a second answer. I'll give it to Andy McCage. It only seems fair. (laughs) March 9th. I thought there'd be some Richard Herring fans in. I was wrong. There he is. Look, how happy are you with that? I bet you've got one anyway, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> the worst possible thing. Uh, <laughs> worst person it could have gone to, but you could put that one on eBay. Have oh, you got some friends you could give that to? You, your fr- no, you haven't got any. No, i was just getting It's Andy McCage. He hasn't got any friends. Are you friends with Andy McCage? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know him, Andy? Yeah, OK, that's all right. <laughs> I just thought it was a guy going, yeah, I'll give it a go he seems like a nice guy look at that you wouldn't want to be friends with this guy look at him what's your name? Twan oh I know you from off of uh, Twitter I always imagined you were a woman uh, so uh, <laughs> you, could, you could be I don't know well are you if you are you might be a woman and then I've made a terrible faux pas <laughs> but uh, you're a pretty ugly woman uh, and but a very attractive man uh, nice to meet you. I'm slightly scared of uh, Twan. So, uh, uh, what do you what do you do for a living, Twan? Oh, I'm a business analyst. You're a business analyst. Yeah, I have got a few of those in? Any any? What's the best business you've ever analysed? Uh, I probably my like dogs. Your dog's business is good. Look, look at that. <laughs> okay, look look I want the people at home see how happy he was with that joke. It's probably <laughs> probably his dog. Probably his dog's business. It like business like poo. It's good. It's, even the audience are funny. Even, even the audience are funny. So the next day, when I was, I was away for the weekend when we recorded this, uh, it was last weekend now, uh, and uh, we went to Tring. Had a. Had, had a day. I mean, my, my daughter's usually very good sleeper, but she didn't sleep at all. Well, I got too drunk after this play that I went to see, and uh, my own play. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't. I had about one hour's sleep, so that wasn't good. Uh, my wife managed to go swimming, and then she, we were kind of go. We said, oh, it's not. It's, this hasn't been very good. It hasn't really worked out here in this hotel where they're accusing us flushing nappies down the toilet. Uh, so we said we'd go to the station and maybe have a coffee at the station and, and in the town. But the, the Tring station is a, a mile and a half out of Tring, which is very inconvenient if you live in drink and there's nothing there my wife needed to go to the toilet there was no toilet there was nowhere to have a coffee there's five minutes to the next train so we thought well let's we'll just put you on the train and then you can go home and I'll come home later Uh, and uh, I I looked at the thing of platform three uh, and we had to carry the pram down these big steps and go we got it down there that's good Uh, and we got down there and I looked and said oh that's it says this train's going to Milton Keynes that seems to be uh, the wrong direction and it turned out uh, we were on the wrong platform and then watched our train pulling pulling away, and then had to walk back the mile, back to the hotel. Because <laughs> my wife needed the toilet, there was nowhere to go to the toilet. Uh, and this, it was quite a bad weekend, all in all. <laughs> I said to my wife, you know, this, the, this, I know this hasn't been a very successful romantic weekend, what with us not getting here, me forgetting like, we had a child, uh, <laughs> being accused of flushing nappies down the toilet and having no fun. But, you know, we should be laughing about this kind of thing. This is... didn't find it very funny, but uh, hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, by now she will do. So, will you please welcome my guest uh, for today? I nearly forgot to do this. I just did this very quickly backstage. He's probably best known as one of the writers of the film Razzle Dazzle. That's why, that is why we're all here tonight to see. <laughs> it seems like I've made a good choice. Will you please welcome? It's Robin Ince, ladies and gentlemen. Robin Ince. <laughs> Come in, in, sit down, Robin. you have to sit
2: there. Use that microphone. Um. Razzle Dazzle was actually quite big in Turkey, so (laughs) fuck you, Richard Herring. (laughs) There were many posters around the London Underground, but unfortunately Sony, the releasing company, forgot to actually put it in cinemas in London.
0: (laughs) What was it? I don't remember Razzle Dazzle. Oh, I'm very surprised. You're obviously not a fan
2: of that particular genre. <laughs> um, it was uh, Ben Miller starred in it yeah. and it was about a, uh, a choreographer who teaches a group of kind of 10-12 uh, year olds and he wants to be the greatest choreographer but he also wants to change the world and so he does choreography about animal experimentation and stuff like that and they all have to imagine their, their rabbits being tortured. And uh, then there's a very keen mother who really wants her daughter to be famous around the world and she says if, if I have to dye her black I have to dye her black we might have to do that for the American market so it's that kind of film yeah. so you can see why it went with the Turkish market but not so big in, uh, in the rest how of did the you world
0: get, how, how did you get involved in writing that was it your idea um, it was, uh, no, it was, uh, for, I'd been writing
2: a movie about wrestling. Uh, I know, this is, uh, I, I've been writing a film about wrestling uh, with my friend uh, Darren, and uh, he, we'd, we'd finished writing the film about wrestling, which it turns out we hadn't, and uh, his wife had written a very, uh, a short story, like a page and a half story, uh, about where you think, you're uh, basically in the mind of a child who is in a dance competition and then realise that, in fact, it's a mother who, when her child fell on stage, got up and just joined in with all the children while they're terrified of this this kind of dance. And I said, that would make a good film for the Turkish market. And so uh, that's... But it's, uh, do you know what? For, uh, of things I've done, I'm not actually ashamed of it. I've only watched it, like, twice, yeah. but I'm not ashamed of it. And that is a pretty high level in terms of someone with my self-loathing.
0: Is it on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime? Well,
2: um, I don't know if anyone here knows what the biggest uh, film channel is in in the UK. Of course, Movie Mix. Um, Yeah, it's... um, (laughs) It's It's on Movie Mix. Yeah, recently it was on the uh, 4am slot, so... uh, And repeated at 11am as well, well, so very much for postal workers.
0: If we can get every single person who listens to this to watch it, it could could be 100,000 people could watch it. (laughs) It's all right. Genuinely,
2: I think it's all right. It's not about... Ben Miller's tremendously... good. The one thing we found out, we had a a brilliant uh, choreographer, the choreographer who also did Strictly uh, Ballroom and all Baz Luhrmann's films, and we had various members of the Strictly Ballroom uh, cast in it as well, uh, Paul Mercurio and stuff, and uh, what we realised was you can't teach someone who is not a dancer how to be the greatest dancer in Australia (laughs) in four weeks. So a lot of the scenes where Ben Miller did some really amazing dancing that was beyond any imagination, We did have to cut those. We we (laughs) slightly overstepped the mark. Going, I imagine he can be turned into the greatest dancer in Australia in four weeks. We'll cut the tap dancing, but he was brilliant. Ben Miller was absolutely fantastic. Well, what
0: everyone who's listening or watching, if just the day this comes out, if they could go to Amazon or whatever site they want to and buy the DVD. That well, really, it's, it's, it's probably not... Av-
2: it's, yeah, it's yeah. not going to be... It's either going to be one of those ones that is available for 50 pence, <laughs> or there's two copies that are available for, like, £98. Pounds. It's <laughs> much like Don Estelle's autobiography. Yeah, so, well,
0: have you, I, I'd love to read Don Estelle's autobiography. You got, have you got a copy of it? Yeah, 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 but I'm not lending it.
2: Oh. It's gold. It is gold. It's eight it and a half hot mum gold. <laughs> the, it is an amazing book. The uh, it's, it's, I know Arthur Smiths read it as well, and I can't remember. And it's it was called um, Sing, Lofty, Sing: Thoughts of a Gemini, um, published by the Donistel Publishing Company, and it was my favourite <laughs> book. When I used to do the book club show, where I read out from kind of weird books because. It's written in this style as if, basically, Donnerstow, he starts, he sits down, he goes, it's chapter three now, about when I first met Windsor Davis, I'm in a very good mood. i have a little glass of uh, wine, though, I think. Yeah, It was lovely meeting Windsor Davis, have another glass of wine, but fucking hell, I want to do another advert for chocolate bars, but Windsor wasn't up for him, a little bit angry about that. And then by the time he's finished the chapter and finished the bottle of wine, everyone's a shit in show business. I sell cassettes in supermarkets while I in my pith helmet. Fuck a lot of you. And, and he repeats himself. Self a lot, so the three times he goes, I always remember when I work with Jim Davidson, and you think, yeah, so do we. It was in <laughs> chapter two, seven and nine. But it's, it's really worth reading, because I know, I it's to. a great warning about show business, and why we should never have gone into it. Because <laughs> he does this thing, sorry, I, I, just, I told you I was really tired all day, and now you're the first people I've met, and I'm beginning to show off. So it's... um But what is great about the book is there's very little about all of the showbiz things he did and a great deal about trouble he had with his neighbours uh, <laughs> over the graveling of a drive and problems with a gate. So it's, it's really and, and it does kind of it is almost you know somewhere between Tristram Shandy and Diary of a Nobody.
0: Yeah that's why I've, really, I've, been, I've read about it somewhere someone, someone wrote a fantastic blog about it I, I met I, I met at in Woolworths in doing oh. selling his CD what nice cassettes uh, it was that long ago We just were all. I mean, it was sort of. I mean, it is. It is all about show business. It's all about how you cope with success and and it going away. I suppose. And Don didn't cope with it very well. In that he carried on (laughs) doing his singing and wearing. It is just standing in Woolworths in Western Supermare wearing a pith helmet. And uh, I'm pretty sure we, I've we got a photo. We, we all went and just took the piss out of him. And I'm pretty sure we just got a, a photo of him going like that to us. <laughs> he certainly did that to us. I don't know if I'm imagining the photo, but uh, we did, uh, we were unpleasant to him.
2: It is really, um, it is really sad in yeah. a lot
0: of ways because
2: it is, you know, he had this, these years with the Ain't Half Hot Mum. And then Winsor Davis, it turns out, you know, was a better actor. Um, yeah. Don, it turned out, was limited in terms of. Do you own the pith helmet? Yep, we've got a part for you. So it's like that kind of problem where it was more about the costume necessarily than his performance. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's a sad book and I feel, I feel bad now in many ways of, of being derisory about it. Oh. I've heard it was quite big in Turkey.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> the book club show came out of you punching a melon representation, uh, a melon representing the head of Vernon Kay. Is that, is That's that, right, that yeah. correct? That's right, um, yeah. This was about, what would this be, 2004, I think. And
2: this is, because I, I listened to your Mark Watson uh, uh, recording <laughs> from last and week, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> put it out in that order. Yeah. And. Uh, but when you said you've looked back because you're doing all your old stand up shows and you go yeah many of these were great I am very lucky because my first 13 years I've looked back and they were awful so there's no (laughs) bit of me going I was robbed there's me going I somehow managed to survive Uh, they're really terrible but that first show that I thought wasn't bad but a lot of other people were not like minded on that was um, the the title was the award winning Robin Ince, Star of the Office Series 1 Episode 5 first bit right I have a very small part in the office right, where I play a guy called Stuart for, who's having a job interview and I thought it came around from, I was with um, Danny Wallace in, uh, in, in a, a bar and we were looking at the fringe brochure and it just everyone, it, it's you know BAFTA award winning, five times Emmy award winning and we were looking at this and we were going, well these people haven't won all these things they might have been partly involved with things that have won those but unless you've actually got the award, yeah. you haven't won the award so we started to calculate that if you just, you know, we were near, we were touching distance of these TV and radio things what our awards were. So it was going to be this whole thing about this guy who which was me... But me, you know, believing that my work writing on uh, the Brian Connolly show was, you know, masterful. Uh, that the fact that I did a musical with Sue Pollard, you know, what I taught her about. So this is all true, by the way. I really <laughs> did do these things. And, you know, w- working with Claudia Winkleman and, you know, what it was like sitting next to the plum-faced Mark Lawson when he was quite, you know, rude to me when we were reviewing Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. Um, <laughs> but surrounded by... Andy Warhol-style images of Mark Lawson, Sue Pollard and all of these people, right? And uh, I thought people would know that I didn't really believe I'd invented The Office because I once walked past a Staples with Ricky Gervais and (laughs) when look at that bloke in there choosing photocopying paper. He looked sad. And then seven years later, Ricky Gervais wrote The Office. You can't help but see a pattern, right? So I thought these would be clues that this... And so when it got to the end, because I spent a lot of the show, I talked about when... Vernon Kay was very rude to me once. I was the last time I ever did TV warm-up. Vernon Kay uh, was, yeah, he he had a little go at me. I hadn't been funny enough about where people were from, uh, (laughs) and Vernon Kay said something. Even the audience kind of thought it's a bit mean-spirited. Um, so in the show, I talked about how Vernon K almost destroyed my life, and then the best way if Vernon Kay nearly destroys your life is to draw a little image of Vernon K on a melon and then just leave it on a windowsill in the sun. And as you slowly watch it rot over a period of weeks, it brings joy to your life, right? <laughs> And then right at the end of the show, I'd get all angry about the fact that things hadn't worked out for me, because I'd been too busy writing links for Ben Shepherd on some kind of Channel 5 sports-based show, and I'd never got round to writing my great Ingmar Bergman screenplay, whatever, and I'd start to get really weepy, and then I'd grab the melon that represented Vernon Kay's head, and I would punch it and punch it, and, and, and I, I never got a right melon, I deliberately got my, my wedding ring has still got the crack in it from over-punching <laughs> the melon, and I would punch, sometimes it would take a minute, and then the melon would explode, and I I would then just stare at the audience and then start singing Mustang Sally. And, just... <laughs> and then it would go into blackout, and a lot of the audience left going, I think he's had a breakdown. Now, <laughs> and I thought it was a pretty good show, you know, yeah. and, the... <laughs> and people who saw it, they either really loved it. Or, which was a very small number of people, or left, just thinking, I don't know whether it feels sad for that bloke or just what a stupid, that's worse than when we saw Donna Stell in Western Supermare. (laughs) You know, but it was, so so I, that that was, and partly in the show, I also, uh, I'd been recommended Sid Little's book, Little Goes a Long Way. Um... And I would talk about how Sid Little, a lot of his anecdotes kind of help you understand what it's like to be in show business. And there was this great anecdote which was, and I would have kind of Philip Glass music or Elgar in the background as well. And I read this, there was a lovely one about, i see if I can remember, memory, it was, it was uh, I'll always remember the time uh, I met Cliff Richard. Uh, we went to, uh, oh no, I remember going around to Cliff Richard's house. Um, he, uh, he had curry, which was great. I really like curry. As does Cliff, I think. Which is nice, because like, it's Cliff's party. He probably does like curry. That's why he's ordered it, right? He goes, I always remember when I met um, Cliff at an Indian restaurant called the Taj Mahal in Ealing. It was just after Cliff had had a hit with the song Little in Love. He walked in. Hello, I said. Hello, he replied. Thanks for writing the song about me. What, he said? A little in love. He did laugh. So it was this great kind of... <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, that, just, uh, that, that, that sentence on its own, he did laugh. <laughs> and I used to have this big bit where I would go, so anyone out there who thinks maybe Cliff didn't laugh, let's be fucking clear about this. <laughs> it's a three-word, he did laugh, there's no debate there. And annoyingly, when the book was co-written uh, and rewritten as Little by Little, which is not nearly as good, if you, if you see in a bookshop Little by Little, it's had a lot of the interesting idiosyncrasies removed. So what you want is Little goes a long way. Which is either fifty pence on Amazon or ninety-seven pounds.
0: <laughs> but I remember you. I remember you were you were in Edinburgh when we first did um, this morning, Rich, not yeah. Judy, because you came and did a few of those. Yeah. Was that, was that the, you were up in 1990, I think, the first time you came that must have been No, it would have been,
2: I think the first year that I ever did a gig there was 1990, where I did a gig right. with a fantastic group called Mr. Trellis, right. It was uh, Ardlo Hanlon and, uh, and uh, Barry Murphy, and, oh my God, how embarrassing, and, and the other one, can we dub
0: that in? <laughs> yeah. And,
2: uh, and, um, and I did a gig there, and then that was the only gig I did. And then at that point, I was working in a place called Greyfriars Kirk House, just like kind of doing technical stuff. It's a place, it's, a play, it's a, one of those uh, it's now an art gallery, but it used to be a hostel for homeless people apart from in August. So they turn up and they go, what? And they go, well, not in August. And so it's like really quite cruel. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so obviously, a lot, of the, a lot of the tramps would then write a show for the next year and see so if they get to Greyfriars Kirk House. But, but it had an amazing... Owen O'Neill was on that year. Uh, Earl O'kin, Eddie Izzard. A fantastic act called Johnny Material. Yes. Uh, who now... Johnny Mears, who's now a children's... Uh, and Johnny Material was absolutely fantastic. And, uh, and so I was working there. And um, I don't know why I've told you the center anyway, I still did a gig and that was ages ago. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, was, first, I think like, there was going to be a point to that.
0: No, it was the uh, first time but, we went up. But then I think we did This Morning Notch Judy in... Yeah, I reckon we 93 94. or 94. Yeah would have been about that. So you, you came on and did... I didn't know who you were. You came in. I think Stu, you'd met Stu, maybe, had you? Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd met Stu,
2: and we started talking about unpopular, independent movies from <laughs> New York, and we immediately bonded. <laughs> but it took him 25 years to persuade me to like free jazz. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> no, you should really like it. It's just, like, there's no... <laughs> it's just, you know... <laughs> uh, ooh... <laughs> Wah. Wah. Yeah. No one else likes it, but I, you know, I just I do, yeah.
0: So you've been going to eat, Don't know who it was. Don't know who it was. That said little, I don't know who that was. Don't know, didn't don't know. But I think you've been going a lot longer than I think people would, might, might realise, though. I mean, you obviously in the last few years... Not according years to my agent. I'm 24 <laughs> years old and in 2007. Um,
2: yeah, no, I started... I, I, I mean, I, I started in 1992. I did So You Think You're Funny in Edinburgh uh, and I got second place to Rona Campbell as she was then, then uh, changed her name to Rona Cameron. And uh, and that was amazing because it was like, I really wanted to be a stand-up. I've always been excited by stand up since I'd seen like Rick Mail and Alexi Sale and all those kind of people. And uh, well. In fact, in particular, Rick and Alexis yeah. I think, yeah, that it was that last year when, when I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast, but when Rick Mail died, you know when you have that moment where you've almost almost forgotten how vital someone was culturally to you, and, and Rick Mail, when I first saw him do it, I mean it would have been Kevin Turvey probably first of all and, and then, uh, and him turning up on the Russell Harty show, still being Kevin Turvey, right? and it just it seemed like the most exciting, and Alexi Sale on OTT the fact that mm-hmm. one week on OTT this kind of really terrible late night, partly sketch show thing done by Chris Tarrant. One week they'd have Bernard Manning and the next week they'd have a Lexi sale and it was just... And uh, I decided to go more the Lexi sale route with the angry Marxism (laughs) as opposed to the casual racism followed by Dean Martin cover. And... um, and what, and just yeah that, from that point onwards the moment that I saw Rick Merler and Aide Edmondson and there was I, I was with Michael Legg when we found out Rick Merler died and it was it was one of those things where it felt like if there was a day where Michael Legg who I've been mates with for as long as I've been in stand-up um, a 2 two forty six 46-year-old men waking up sleeping on someone's floor deciding to have a cushion fight that becomes overly violent he then smashes my glasses that pinged in half and has to lead me down to spec savers in the middle of Leeds right <laughs> to find some kind of monocle and um, and <laughs> And then when we found out Rick Mel died, it was almost like, oh, well, this, he's the reason that we're also two 46-year-old men who, even when, we, when we're on stage, quite often we pretend to be Daphne and Celeste and really scare people, where when we were doing the Edinburgh, our Edinburgh show, Pointless Anger, Righteous Ire, and just two you know middle-aged men who haven't even aged well either, late middle-aged men, both of them with different skin complaints, suddenly leap on say in this room that was entirely red and already the damp on the walls just there. And we're just like, oh, stick you, your mama too, and your dad! And you see people going, I'm not sure this is for me, but I'm too scared to leave. <laughs> and just kind of all of those things I know I do because I fucking watch Rick Mail, you know, yeah. that, 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 and that total commitment, all of those things. So that was so, but then I started to stand up in, yeah, 92, after so you think it's funny. And then I, kept, I, I, I managed to survive by living off, you know, predominantly kind of carrots and, um, and, and Bulgarian wine for about five years. Yeah. And, uh, and then, so I, I was going throughout the 90s comparing yeah. gigs and stuff. But, I mean, all the stuff is really awful.
0: And you were writing, you, you were writing for TV and stuff?
2: No, well. I didn't get into that later. I, I started on the 11 o'clock show, which was a fantastic way of learning about writing because you would... So, uh, before I, I did writing on it, because uh, Dave, Dave Gorman was script editing, I think, the second series of the 11 o'clock show, and before I, I started uh, as a drunken bet, uh, which didn't become a book. <laughs> the, uh, but, no, Dave... Uh, and I was doing this thing where I would pretend to be John Peel Talking about uh, meeting famous dictators, and including Osama bin Laden, long before he was, you know, I was very prescient in that. I was going, you know, I remember the first time I was a DJing at Osama bin Laden's house, and uh, I'd uh, actually lost my stylus, but uh, fortunately uh, someone had uh, had just had a hand that was made out of an old coat hanger, so we uh, we managed to thin it down, and uh, it rather actually destroyed my uh, my copy of The Undertones, but uh, I've got more than one copy of that, uh, obviously, and uh, so. So I'd just do these long rambles, which originally were filmed with me just doing long rambles, but they thought it would be a better idea for me to do it live in the studio with Daisy Donovan always interrupting at the (laughs) punchline. And, uh, (laughs) So... That was kind of, uh, and then they said, Do you want to write on the show? And it's a re- learning how to write on that show and learning that, you know, when you look and sometimes go, Oh, those writers are rubbish. And they might be rubbish, but it's probably not what, you know, every single midday you'd go into the, the producer's office, one of the writers go, Right, it's your turn to go in and do the topical gags. And you would go through the gags, and then the gags that got the biggest laughs, there'd always be one person in the room who afterwards would go, Yes, but I don't really think that's right for our demographic or for the people who watch 11 o'clock show. What, the funny one that we all found enjoyable? Yes. <laughs> We won't be, and so then you would. Uh, each night you would say to the writers, all the other writers, "Don't watch the show, for fuck's sake, don't watch the show," because you would just hit this kind of level of melancholy, this level of nausea. If if you were, and then some, one act would, you know, one writer would, and then come in the next day looking all bleak. and We go, well, we told you, we don't watch the show, and it was, but it was a good education. Because it was,
0: you know. Yeah, but no, I We went through some. We did weekending, which was sort of a similar, but not as quite high profile. We we didn't like the eleven o'clock show because we were on BBC Two. We, I actually resented the eleven o'clock show because Channel Four stayed so true to it. They gave it series after series after series, and the BBC never did the same for us. <laughs> we had to keep on coming back and begging. But you know, it did it got uh, well, it got Ali G and uh, Ricky Gervais? There were lots
2: of things, and actually, you know, whatever you thought of Ian Lee on that show, I think Ian Lee could be very... When he did Rise, the breakfast show, he was, although I remember going on that once, and he was a bit rude to me, and I said, well, it's not like when you were on the 11 o'clock show, and then when they cancelled it, and you used to ride around Crouch End on a pink tricycle, waving at people, saying, remember me, remember me? (laughs) And afterwards, the producer said, I wish you hadn't said that, because that was quite close to the truth. So it's one of those... (laughs) But I didn't know! I mean... (laughs)
0: Only the colour of the tricycle was wrong. <laughs> or of a puce kind of colour. Uh, but you t- did, you, so did, you meet, did you meet Ricky during that?
2: Period? No, I knew Ricky when he was, uh, when he, when he was the manager of a. Uh, he was manager of uh, suede and a Queen tribute act, but decided that really the money was in the Queen tribute act. <laughs> so. He was, um, he was the entertainment manager at uh, Yulu, that was at the University yeah. of London Union, and the first time I met him doing a gig for Avalon, actually, it was one of the, the Comedy Network gigs, and uh, we both talked about what the best line-up and pattern is in an episode of Celebrity Squares. <laughs> so we would go, obviously, Middle Square, Willie Rushton. <laughs> and then we would, and we would go through, you know, top left-hand corner. That's your sporting novelty, but not not a wit like Henry Cooper. You'd have him, you know, middle left. Uh, I mean, you know, middle above or middle below. And so that was basically how we became friends. Was we would ring each other up, and go, I've realised blankety blank, the best lineup. So right, <laughs> and that, and then we just stayed friends. And then there was a point where I suddenly found out that he had become uh, tremendously um, famous, and uh, was to torture me when I talked with him which was a really bizarre thing where you, you don't notice when someone suddenly becomes because I had no idea and then we were in Dunstable once with the first night of of, no, the, the night before, he decided that we should go to... Oh, where the hell was Lincoln. The day before our first gig, our warm-up gig at the Lincoln Theatre. And uh, then we got in this van, and it wasn't how he'd imagined it. I think he'd imagined a tour bus, not a kind of van. Yeah. And then he was really angry because it stank of dog shit, right? He was so angry that it stank of dog shit, right? Later on that day, we found out it was actually on his shoe, and he'd brought it into that. <laughs> right. but and then we just pulled over, right? He said, pull over, pull over. It's ridiculous. We need to get a hotel around here. I said, we've only got as far as Dunstable. Why don't we go back to London and start again tomorrow? He went, no. No, that's it, no, 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 we, we're doing it, right? And um, so we went and stayed, and he'd just done the Golden Globes for the first time, or just, I think, appeared, one thing things that, And so we're walking around Dunstable with people just going, hey, do the dance, which was, like, for me, a relief, because he used to be able to torture me in the street, but now if he tried to torture me in the street, someone would spot him and go, do the dance! He'd go, run for your lives, you know? And... Um, I mean, and then we ended up like in this hotel with basically... At one point, uh, he said, order some food. We'll get it brought up, right? And he said, I don't want anyone to know I'm here. So he hid behind the door when the food came. And then the bloke brought in the food, which had most of the things that were actually on the menu that said were in the food, not there. Right. And uh, and then he went, oh, can I have your autograph? And it's that embarrassing thing when you're hiding behind the door and you go, <laughs> yeah, of course you can. There we go. So
0: the. Um, <laughs> We you did a 2001 Edinburgh show with Stephen Merchant, Jimmy Carr and Ricky Gervais. Yeah. And you. And me. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Which is pretty much how there was a, a, a thing in, I think it was Word magazine, uh, uh, Mark Ellen and Dave Hepworth magazine. They once did a, I think it was a long interview with Jimmy Carr and uh, it had one of the, the publicity stills with all four of us and it just, Steve Merchant, Ricky Gervais, Jimmy Carr. <laughs> just, uh, which I it. really like because that's almost part of really where the, the award winning Robin Ince came yeah. from because I've, I've never had a big enough ego I've, I've found it much funnier to be and some bloke <laughs> some bloke who's probably just come up to mend the balcony they're on and happens to be snapped while he's next to these showbiz greats at least they didn't cut you off though they're yeah. going to cut you off like that. I think no, cut I'm you up. off is probably better isn't it <laughs> to, to, to actually know uh, he's there but I can't
0: see him it's surely worse than just snip him or off or if it just says unknown that's, yeah. that's the worst <laughs> like sometimes you get those old photos of like revolutionaries they okay? mention three and then don't know who that is don't know who yes. that is if any of you know who this person is please email the word subscription there was a lot of you know if you'd known at the time how much money the people in that show were going to be worth in within? But you see,
2: five, Rick but... And, Ricky and Steve had already done The Office, yeah. and it the first series was going out at that time. And Steve Merchant is one of the best stand-up comedians I've ever seen. I think if you've never seen and he does another, but I don't think he'll, maybe I will never do another tour. But it's just every single night. I would just watch his set and it was it would stay almost exactly the same but there would always be an, another nuance or another... And it was this beautiful thing about this bloke coming on with a lot of high status saying he's the best comedian in the world and by the end of it going don't tell anyone you've seen me I'll say you were lying <laughs> uh, you don't come up to me at the bar and say well done it could have been worse just leave me alone right? And he would do this whole and he's yeah, six foot seven the whole look of him there and then he'd storm off stage and then there'd be no one on stage for about 20 seconds then he'd walk back out and he goes you can't get out that way And it's just everything about it was, and I would, I I think, in terms of tears of laughter, he's kind of up there with with watching Laurel and Hardy's County Hospital, right? It's just he, and what used to be really joyous about watching Steve Merchant on the comedy circuit as well was some comics didn't get him, they just didn't understand what was going on. And so once you were unable to breathe and truly asthmatic from the experience of watching him, you'd then turn and see a comic going, huh? and then you'd fall through a door. I mean, I did. I once fell through a door watching Steve Murch, and He was just fantastic to watch. And, you know, Jimmy was very much Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I'll talk about this because I'm, I'm getting tired and I want this to go on for a long time, so I'll talk about this while I'm still... And if I fall asleep... <laughs> yeah, i fall asleep, brief, I? If I fall, asleep, really sorry. if I fall asleep, just carry on talking. <laughs> Don't take it personally. If really you had... fall asleep, I'm going to carry you away like <laughs> Cannon and Ball, you know, that bit where Bobby's asleep, the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> you have said you are giving up doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. And this is your last stand-up comedy tour. Well, not exactly. For a bit. For a bit, yeah. But do you think that's a good idea? I mean, like isn't the thing that you just do like you when you tour, you tour about five shows. So you're, you're inevitably going to go. Oh, stand up! I don't like stand up. I'm doing, cause doing it's not. I don't it. like
2: stand up, though. I love stand up. Yeah. I think stand up is uh, it, it. It can drive you insane. And it, I mean, I think the person who's most worried is is my wife, because you know my, my touring uh, kind of schedule is 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 very good for if you live with a really annoying man. There's nothing better than him often being in Stoke on Trent or Belfast, <laughs> and so I was out, I think I was in Australia, and she rang me up. She went, "What's this about you giving up stand up? I went, oh, well, it's just... Uh, I said, well, why didn't you tell me? I said, it'll be all right. I've got other ways that we can make some money. It's not... Right. She went, no, but I mean, why... And she, this was the one she found out because she saw a piece in The Independent, which is not how it should have happened, right? But I'd, I'd written this blog post, and The Independent had gone, well, if we put, add some other sentences, that can be some journalism. And uh, so... I really cheat. And eventually I went, Look, everything's going to be fine. And, I thought, and then I went, I know, I've realised what this is about. This is not about a fear of, you know, how you and our child will survive. It is you going, You're going to be in the house the whole fucking time. <laughs> and between seven and 10, you'll have all the adrenaline you normally have. You know, Look at me doing voices. Look at me doing voices. What if Stuart Lee
0: was James Bond? You know, this. <laughs> but you do do like a ridiculous amount. I mean, I remember doing a gig with you in um, Shepherd's Bush where you were in the middle act in Shepherds Bush, I was comparing, and you'd come from, Can- you a- the opening slot in Cambridge. <laughs> you don't even drive. You can't <laughs> even drive. Uh, you, you'd driven, you'd got a train, to, I mean, and then you were going off after the Shepherds Bush to do a gig across London. Yeah. That's insanity. How it would double up between Cambridge and Shepherds Bush? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a long way. But it is, I, I, it's a bit like, the like site with
2: Edinburgh, right? The reason that I would sometimes do, and you do this in Edinburgh, is I, I, sometimes I would do four shows a day four different shows and then friends for uh, shows for mates as well. And the thing is that what else are you going to do? Because when you're younger you think it's hey, stand up you kid yourself and you go well I don't need to do anything today because I've got work tonight and then you would go and stand in a Firkin pub for 20 minutes with your ride take on Baywatch or whatever you were doing <laughs> in the early 90s and then you'd go, well that's a full day's work, and then you get a bit older and you do, I think Mark Watson mentioned it on your podcast, uh, the um, I love Mark Watson, <laughs> with that <a> podcast <laughs> but you do, you know, you, you you think, well life is, I think life is finite, I think existence is finite and it's much better to just try and do loads of, I mean I do think that's why I'm giving up stand-up for a bit is actually in the end you you do go. That was a bit much, wasn't it? <laughs> and you do find yourself. Yeah, it's. It's. I mean, I. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I've been doing stand up since I was twenty two years old. So, and it is like an act of trepanning. It is. You know, the the, the day after the election, and I'm you know all cross and kind of... And I'm playing Horsham that night where 58% of the population there voted Conservative, leaving 8,000 to vote UKIP. <laughs> and you have this, and which was not in my audience obviously. My audience is like 130 people going, don't tell them we're here. <laughs> and the... Uh, and you have, and you can go out on stage, and this rage, you know, all that, like all the shows that I do with Michael, which are entirely, or well, hopefully, on most nights, just made up on the actual night, just yeah. dicking around, and to lose that kind of, you know, the 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 drill into the skull to go, I let these it, things out.
0: But it seems to come a little bit from disillusionment about touring. You'll you, know, you, you say, uh, as I think, we're in a similar position with touring, you and I, I think, in the, the, and it's quite a rare position, because most people can't tour. Most comedians can't tour because they're not well-known enough at all to sell any tickets on, the, on their own name. And then most comedians who do tour are so well-known that they'll get thousands mm. of people, or hundreds of people coming to see them. And you and I are in this kind of middle bit where we might get 50, we might get five hundred. Uh, and there are places we go where it's fifty people. Yeah, and you've travelled. Usually, when the one you've travelled the furthest to. Yeah, so you've driven. Or it you've was Anik
2: that did it for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: it was it was
2: Anik. Where it's a lovely venue, and I knew I'd been back too soon because I reckon once every like thirteen, fourteen years is probably <laughs> that's enough and then on the side of the theatre in the actual auditorium are these big paintings of Tommy Cooper and Eric Morecambe and other people who had tremendously successful careers and would never have ended up one in Annick and two in Annick playing to 50 people. Right. Yeah. And it's a really lovely venue. And I'm not, you know, in that way, they, they like backstage, they go, we've just left you a whole cake. <laughs> and that's the, um, and so, but you, then the next day there's roadworks, and your friend is dropping you off to get that pre booked train to Newcastle. Uh, uh, you don't get there in time and then the man goes you have to pay £121 for a ticket and you think I played to 48 people in Annick and this is and you you think I'm going to die running back of this ridiculous <laughs> man running across trying to get to his train with his his deodorant flying out the back of his rucksack and various different notes which if read appear to be kind of you know the songs that Jeffrey Dahmer would have written or whatever <laughs> and it's just and so all of those those things uh, and, and I thought I'm just going to give it because no one thinks in any town one No one goes, he may never be back again. You know, I played Leeds six times last year, Manchester about eight times. And then, you know, and if you are in a smaller town, a smaller town that really only wants to see someone like me once every three years, that's more than enough. So I thought if I take three years off, I, I might, there's a possibility I'll go, fucking hell, why don't I ever do stand up? Well, I was a waste. I'm really enjoying myself here. You know, this this is a nice Waterstones to work in. They've given me a nice section. You know, every now and again, someone goes, "Oh, you sound a bit like that bloke who used to be on the radio with the Pretty Scientist." You know, all of those things. (laughs)
1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
2: <laughs> so, but I, I, I have to, and nearly every stand-up said to me that they give me about one month. Of, of yeah, not doing I think stand-up. you
0: might find it different. I mean, I, I just, it feels to me you do so, so many different shows that maybe if you, you know, just it may be not the op, it might not be stop and go, it might just be let's turn the volume down a bit. It's not like people, I think people tend to do this with it. People do something t- too much and they become unhappy with it and they think, oh, because uh, happiness is the opposite of unhappiness me doing the opposite of what I'm doing Mm. will make me happy. And actually, that's like saying, oh, this TV volume's a bit loud. I'll mute it completely. That will make me happy. You know, it's actually just a matter of turning the knob a little bit and and working out what you can do. Because if you're doing all those little towns... What an old television you've got. I'm just sitting there, not even (laughs) near the telly. Yeah. Living my incredible dream from all the repeat fees from the 11 o'clock show. (laughs) But there are enough tiny There are enough of those... I mean, I go to Cumbria... Uh, once a tour probably and I play a different town in Cumbria yeah. every time I go to a, a general ambivalence but there, there are enough towns in Cumbria you can go there and you'll be in that town once every six years there are enough towns and, and no one will ever come and see me but there are enough towns in the country that you can go back every now and again I, I think what I think is it's, it can be dispiriting, because you can look at other people and go, oh, what, why are they getting 500 people and I'm getting 50 people? But then I think you always... And then you'll get that on Twitter. Where you'll go, oh, yeah, there's still tickets available. Yes, I bet there are still tickets available. And you kind of go, well, you know, I wonder if you could sell 50 tickets in any town. <laughs> <laughs> and how long those 50 people... You know, the idea that 50 people have paid £10, £15 pounds to come and see you is sort of quite... Incre- when you look at it the other way, it's sort of incredible. Oh, no, i to think- those 50 people... Because they you know, they they won't get. They'll get the the big names coming to somewhere near them, but they won't get an esoteric, weird comedian coming. And for those fifty people, it's almost more important, isn't it? Than, than... Well, no, I, I think
2: that that's why. If I take a bit of a break, I think I'll be. Very, I mean, I was, you know, some of the places that I've played in the last few months, where like one venue in the, in again in Cumbria actually, which I have played quite a few times, probably too many times. The lowest <laughs> audience I had. But the loveliest audience, they were all... that you know I, I know some of them by name. Some of them say things to me like, would you like to come and stay in our cottage when we were away? It's on the side of a lake. Someone had um, brought me a cake. Not just a little cake, a great, big, bloody cake, right? Yeah. On the box outside it said, just a menace. And then I opened it and it was a picture of Sheila Hancock on the cake done boss-eyed because they felt she was overly cruel to me when I was on just a minute. <laughs> now that... <laughs> you and i do think this is in no way that you know in a lot of the places that i play the people that i and I, I love talking most it's like some of the stadium comics that i know and arena comics they look at they're all fucking hell God, and, and they're all bitter, bitter about going, fucking hell, do you know what, I think I'm only making a quarter of a million for doing my hour tonight, right, <laughs> um, and they don't like their orders, whereas the 50 people who do turn up in whichever Cumbrian town we're playing that particular year, yeah. they're really nice people, and they want to talk about stuff, and, they do, and they'll and they bring you things, well, I found this book that I thought you'd like, I mean the cake thing I really like, because this person obviously also doesn't know that I used the train, so I then spent the next two days with a rucksack on and a satchel, carrying a cake carefully, you know, because which I quite like, or maybe she didn't no. <laughs> Sheila Hancock wrote to me and said, Make him a cake. It's just the kind of idiot that will think I better carry it all the way home. But that's that. that so I think all of those things. It's a lot of the time, I think you couldn't. It's very easy to accept that, like, so, like, I was watching the brilliant band Giant Sand, just the footage of them at uh, Glastonbury. And they're a great band. And they've been going like 30 years, whatever. And, and incredible albums. And the, watching them at the park stage with look like about 40 people you think but nevertheless the 40 people and i've always found whenever i go to see giant sand live that you can kind of talk to anyone who's there because well we've all got a lot in common we have a lot in common because we like giant sand it's not like if you were at you know a u2 gig or something oh we've got a lot in common with all of the you know (laughs) we like giant sand and therefore and that's also i think that's almost what a lot of stand-ups are like. because even though there are lots of nerdy stand-ups who were into horror movies or whatever, and into weird bands and stuff. When we were at school, we might have been the only one who wrote to Boris Karloff's widow to get a signed photo, <laughs> and uh, which I've lost. I don't know where it is. If anyone knows, I'm quite annoyed about that. But, you know, it's a, an 11 year old boy finding out that there's the not ma- that many Karloffs in the London phone directory at that point and making a guess. Um, <laughs> All of that, and so you then have to go. Well, we've always been a little bit m- on the margins anyway, so what on earth is ever going to make us the kind of people that 20,000 people go? Imagine
0: that'll be entertaining in this particular
2: aerodrome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good thing, then. So that you do, you're doing something that's, you know, you've self created something, you're doing it in your, in your own, uh, by your own. Uh, um, <laughs> you doing it on your my own terms. <laughs> you're doing it on your own terms, you know, and, and, it's, uh, and that, there's something amazing about that. And then if you're getting that personal reaction, what about those people who make are making cakes and they're leaving them sadly Exactly! Out, sadly it's brilliant. Out for the birds, because Robin Inch isn't coming to eat his cake this year. <laughs> <laughs> we did the whole cake <laughs> like a melon with <laughs> face on it. And we used his real skin.
2: The uh, no, I love all that stuff, but that's why I think if I take a couple of years off and, and uh, I'm thinking of writing a couple of books that aren't going to get published yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and making a film that's not going to be big in Turkey, it's going to be quite popular in Cyprus, <laughs> a little bit more niche. Um, but uh, so I, I think it's, I don't want to lose the excitement I have about it. I mean, I, someone who I saw, did anyone here see Jim Dale the other week? Has anyone seen him in the West End? Who saw him? What did you reckon? I thought it was fucking brilliant. It was, right, Jim Dale, nearly 80 years old and uh, best known in this country for the carry-on films, but in, in in the US, Broadway star, the first ever Barnum, you know, he's won Emmys and Tonys, and he went on st- and you just, you know when you just sit somewhere and you go, this is the greatest night, it's just one bloke at a piano, and him talking about that moment in his life where he was, do you remember the town he was from in Northamptonshire, I've forgotten it, it's, um, it's, it's the same name as uh, one of the writers from the carry-on, Rothwell, I think it is, Rothwell, right? And he says the first day he goes to work and he's been to the music hall and he's seen it and it's fantastic. And he's just up against a brick wall and he's going to be making shoes. And there's a big bonfire burning bits of shoes. And he turns to the old bloke who's there and he says, oh, what time did they like that? And he said, oh, it was about 38 years ago, I think. <laughs> and he went, I'm leaving. And he left. and went, I'm going to make it in music hall or something. And that for two hours he's on stage with the two things I saw that week was I watched Jim Dale and I watched a Laurel and Hardy double bill with just a whole audience that was just pissing them. So yeah, with my favourite Lauren Hardy, which I used to put into stand-up with audiences going, I've no idea why I said that. Hard-boiled eggs and nuts.
0: <laughs>
2: why didn't you get me any candy? Well, you haven't paid me for the last lot. But it's, uh, it's just... And, it's, and you watch, I was sat next to Johnny Vegas, and we were back, who'd, who'd grown a little Oliver Hardy moustache just for the night, which I thought was <laughs> absolutely all right. And I'm, I'm wipe, properly wiping it. At the moment, the, Oliver Hardy's having the greatest time ever in hospital. He's loving it. He's got his <laughs> leg up. He's, just, he's reading a book. And then he hears Stan whistling. And he just goes, <laughs> <laughs> closes the book flips it off the bed and 20 minutes later of course the surgeon's going both of you get out of my hospital <laughs> and watching those two things which are as you know they're filled with fucking love you know what Jim Dale had was and everyone that I knew I, I, like it was nice because Barry Cryer was in the audience and uh, I think I read that joke and the uh, <laughs> but he was it was actually Barry was in the audience and Lionel Blair was as well and afterwards when, when Barry was, I was chatting to him outside and he was going oh no Lionel Blair's here. I've been trying to avoid him for five years I love a show is spat. That's that's all down to I'm sorry I haven't a clue and all that stuff, but that kind of bloody old Blair's here. It's going to kick off. <laughs> He's wearing his tap shoes already. The, uh... <laughs> but yeah, I just, and, and when you watch things like that, that's why I don't want to go out, I never want to go out on stage, and again, Rick Mail is another good example of just utter fucking commitment. You know, I think more and more the older I've got, every single show, I want to pretty much be hoarse by the end of it, I want to make sure that I you know, they might the audience might have me, but it's not due to a lack of my showing off and being ridiculous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I forgot to say, even though I said I wouldn't forget, I forgot. I should have said this in my opening monologue. Uh, Ewan McKinnis. Do you know Ewan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's on a. <laughs> he was on a Rehef for a hef. Thank you. Uh, I, I praised Ewan McInnes' lack of commercialism. He's, uh, he's now using this series to again promote his book Edinburgh for Everyone and his up-and-coming book for which he has no title. Clearly, he still lacks commercialism. That was what I was meant to say to him. <laughs> uh, and uh, Paul Craigie uh, has got a question for you. He paid £60 to ask this, so make sure you answer okay. it. Okay. If a question has no definitive answer, why bother asking it? That's a much better question than one with a definitive answer. How
2: dull is a question? 1873. <laughs> Whereas if the answer is well, there's a few different ideas currently about this, and then you go on. Over. It's a much more you know the moment you realise that there is almost no definitive answer in everything before Brian Cutts goes. Well, actually, in physics, fuck off. You've only got about. You've only got one law that's particularly thorough. A lot of the rest of them are up in the air, and uh, but it's. That's why it's more exciting to ask that question, because then you can sit around and everyone has a different answer. And some of them you'll think, they are dicks, and I will no longer <laughs> hang around with them, and others you will go, Yeah, not bad.
0: Good answer. Uh, are you aware of Dirty Brick Com Confessions, the website Dirty Brick Com Confessions? No. No. I can't believe you're... On. Johnny Vegas is, has no entries on this, which is kind of... I, I think he's one of the sexiest guys in uh, comedy. Uh, Robin Ince, who I consider one of the least sexy guys in comedy, has a lot of answers. Uh, I'll just show this to the people at home. Uh, they can see this. Uh, someone has said, this is people... Oh, my God, this that's is, me topless
2: backstage is. at uh, the Land Festival. where uh, the Land there was a hen night in. Josie Long and me were doing a show, and we always get a lot of hens and stags, obviously, because that's very much our, our, our demographic, <laughs> right? And uh, so... At one point, I, and they were a lovely hen knight, at one point I, I said, obviously, later on, I will be loosening the cardigan. And, uh, and then I took the cardigan off, and then right at the end I thought, well, in a moment of Morrissey-esque ridiculousness, <laughs> I, will, I, I just ripped off my black shirt and threw it into the hen night." and then
0: uh, Phil Jupiter just, just looked at me afterwards, and he went, you've ruined your brand. LAUGHTER <laughs> Well, this uh, website has people's sexual fantasies about comedians, British comedians usually. Uh, they, this first, uh, they're anonymous. This first person uh, says, that shirtless picture of Robin Ince is the best thing that's happened to me and my sex life in the last months.
2: I wonder where he's serving and how long that <laughs> sentence is.
0: Interesting that you feel it's definitely a man saying that. but I think it is. Uh, LAUGHTER um, so let's have a look uh, oh says, I always f- I find this stuff
2: really kind of creepy and weird yeah that's why we're
0: doing it I yeah. am in I am this in, was
2: such a lovely conversation I'm really uh, you know just, sorry we'll
0: just, let's be over in five to ten minutes Ooh. I'm in brain love with Robin Ince that's kind of that that's nice? fine that returns to kind of the trepanning
2: thing yeah that's true or that scene in the film Hannibal
0: uh, Ray really Just see how interested you are in this one. I wish Robin Ince wasn't married. I'm pretty sure I'm about half a bottle of wine away from stalking the crap out of him. It's getting a bit much. I recently saw him at the Arts Emergency gig at the Hackney Empire, and I spent the whole time he was on stage just imagining us together, rough, sweaty, perfect. Mm. (laughs) Mmm.
2: See, the only time I'm kind of rough and sweaty is when the stepladder's a bit rickety when I'm carrying a lot of the heavier books up to the high shelf. That's when I... Rah, God damn it, why
0: do I buy so many 1930s encyclopedias? This page is good. Uh, I, uh, this is a good one. I have this fantasy where I walk, on, I walk in on Brian Cox giving Robin Ince mind-blowing head. This is nice, you yeah, have the from not the letterbox, so that's good. It and just they, uh, immediately afterwards as he then goes, Oh the art. <laughs> <laughs> and as they see me, Robin says to Brian, go and put that perfect mouth to good use. <laughs> <laughs> and we end up having a threesome all centered around me. <laughs> Was that Jim El-Khalili? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> would you be up for that? If you, if, if Do you know what? Be... I'm
2: very much up for basically getting an allotment. Yeah. That's what I, I just...
0: Would you be up for this? I would like... This is quite a, uh, a full-on one. I would like Robin Inch to come all over me and then lick it all off. <laughs> Things like a punishment. It's really weird
2: that, that it's only right at the end that the true Richard Herring appears in this podcast. <laughs> There's suddenly this demonic revelation. We're nowhere near the end. So, um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you read Stuart, the ones from that? Uh, I don't know if I did. I don't know if I. There, is, there are some of both of us, inevitably. I don't know if I have done it. I've done two with him, but they've both been sort of themed around our DVD. Uh, the DVD or the uh, the lack of a DVD in the end of This Morning, Richard, Not Judy, but a Fist of Fun. You can buy Fist of Fun. There it is. <laughs> uh, but com where we can also buy Robin Ince DVDs, if you are so willing to do that. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. Uh, so, um... Uh, <sighs> Are you, are you still vegan? You went, you went vegan for no, a No, I did
2: vegan for about a month and a half. And yeah. then uh, I, I might give it another go. I thought it was quite, you know, it was an interesting thing to do. But it was, it was I think the second day I was at Birmingham Airport, which it turns out doesn't have a really good vegan selection. <laughs> And that point of going from every different, and looking at everything, and then the last thing we'll always say, and some milk, or (laughs) a small amount of sheep's blood, or whatever, everything that, why do they need that to make these particular biscuits, just to fuck off vegans, it really felt very spiteful, and then I eventually found a slightly out of date cup of leaves that boots do. And obviously, because no one's bought a cup of leaves apart from obviously every time, just they're out of date, the one vegan that comes to Birmingham <laughs> Airport. Goes the cup of leaves, and as I ate those leaves, I thought, I don't know if I'll get into this for two, three years, yeah. but I'm, I'm going to try it again. I think that's a very hard thing with touring is doing that kind of thing. Well,
0: and just anywhere veganism—it's insane. No, but I, I was vegetarian for like 12 years, and it was hard enough. I mean, it's easier now. I think. Well, vegetarianism is quite
2: an easy yeah. thing to do now but uh, veganism, I think, is... I like
0: the idea of... It's, like, it's a bit
2: like giving up stand-up. It's kind of that experiment where you go, well, I don't have any religion, so how can I punish myself? <laughs> um, you know, veganism feels like that. kind of. I love chocolate. I love milk chocolate. I don't like dark chocolate. Well, maybe get that out of your life. You love doing stand-up? Why not stop doing that and just eat dark chocolate on a bench <laughs> near your allotment? <laughs>
0: We gave it drinking for a long time. I see. Drinking I did now. drinking for a year.
2: Uh, stopped drinking for a year, and then Michael Legg was the one who made me drink again. And that was
0: that was kind of one of the reasons I thought I should give up stand up for a little bit. Uh, Michael the, Legg makes me feel like that as well. There's, yeah. a, there's some there's some comedians you watch them and go they're so good I'm going to give up stand up, and then there are other comedians you think they're so bad I'm going to give up stand up. I'm just, it's just a little joke uh, uh, so we, when we were doing the angry show
2: about halfway through in this red room dripping with sweat he just went oh for fuck's sake I can't work with you anymore with you being so but it's fucking killing me so he charged <laughs> off and he got two tins of red stripe and he started his and he left the other one on, on a stool and I thought, well, what should I do? And then I spent quite a lot of time telling the audience about issues that I'd had with drinking and, you know, problems and stuff and creating this level of melodrama and uh, going, that I felt a little bit bad. But, and they, I think they kind of believed me as well, you know. And I said, no, no, no but we'll have fun with the show anyway. And then, you know, and the, Michael knows that the, there's been some problems. And then about 15 minutes later, I just grabbed the can and ripped it open and just drank the whole thing. And I thought, I've turned down really lovely... Like, when you do go drinking with Brian Cox, Brian Cox goes, you must try this wine. And, it, and it's like this, fucking the great you know it's made in the large hadron collider individual grapes being sent round and colliding with each other to make all of these things and uh oh, and the uh and uh and i turned all that down but thinking what will be the best moment in front of an audience well i can't start drinking again and so that was it and then he kept deliberately buying me different drinks every single night and then i now you're an alcoholic no, 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 but there are... <laughs> There's human mints in my drain again, just after it was clear.
0: <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken, that's what you're going to say that is. That's a, that's a little uh, serial killer reference there for you. Fans of serial <laughs> killing. That's what um, uh, the one who worked at the DHSS... What, Dennis Nilsson? Dennis Nilsson, Dennis yeah. when they found uh, body parts... No, he yeah. said, well, he knew they were going to come and check the drain, so he started flushing Kentucky Fried Chicken down so that he could claim it was all Kentucky Fried Chicken that he'd been flushing down. That absolutely. would have been
2: fantastic, though, if that's... For a while, surely one of the newspapers would have believed that was the Colonel's secret <laughs> recipe.
0: and <that> would. <laughs> Defended a man over there. Yeah. He's, uh, he's managed to sit through the rest of yeah. the whole podcast. So I'd say he's ruined the uh,
2: civilized delight <laughs> of eating from a bucket.
0: Ruined murder,
2: the murder. My bride's head revisited nights as I sit there like Sebastian Flight, eating from
0: a fucking bucket. Dennis Nielsen was quite out of all the serial killers. He was the funniest serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> he was. the fu- he was uh, when he it was interrogated in a cell. when he was smoking, and and he said, "What should I do with the cigarette end?" And the policeman said, "Just ch- throw it down the toilet." He said, "I got into trouble last time I did that." <laughs> <laughs> and one of his victims uh, had a tattoo across his neck saying, "Cut here," and so he did. So they, you know that's. It's weird, isn't it? They don't concentrate on his wit. <laughs> so, they, they sit... <laughs> so, well, you I mean, you do all these uh, science. You the, what? The incomplete map of the cosmic genome.
2: Yeah. What the hell is that? I'm genome. in that. That was uh, you are in that. <laughs> what yeah. the hell is <laughs> it? <laughs> it's, uh, um, it's basically just it's a bunch of scientists uh, and uh, people who are interested in science or people who are backstage at one of my gigs. Um, we <laughs> film them and ask them questions about if they're scientists, why they do the work they do what particularly drew them to science, stuff like that. So it's lots of... It's basically, it's an app, and uh, it's just... There's, I think there's, we've managed to fill the whole kind of periodic table now with different people, and we're now going to do a kind of uh, rotating... Uh, double helix of different people as well but it's just the idea of basically I'd started to make some money and I thought well this app I could put money into that and that will lose a lot of cash and it did (laughs) so it's kept me as an artist you see every single time that there's a level of comfort Eddie Izzard once gave me the advice he once came round to my flat many many years ago and he saw that I had an airing cupboard and he said you shouldn't have an airing cupboard that's too much as a comedian that's too much comfort which I just love the idea that what drove Lenny Bruce damp towels <laughs> you know it's the uh, so
0: yeah that was uh, so no. yeah but, uh, it, do you feel like obviously you've done the infinite uh, monkey cage uh, and then a lot of these things well Brian goes on to do things on TV with... Dara Brin, yeah. 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 <laughs> do you feel that that's... Do you feel slighted by that? Genuinely? I mean, I know you make jokes about it,
2: but... Not really. I don't... I mean, Dara Brin does actually know physics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think on television they want another person who knows something, whereas on radio they want a kind of idiot to put the brakes on every single time it becomes too convoluted or confusing. And I play that role very well in the same way as Dara
0: plays being learned very but well. But you're very... You know you know a lot about this stuff as well.
2: Yeah, at a very surface level. I mean, I don't really... I, I don't have... You know, i I'm fascinated by all these ideas and I love, you know, to get the chance to sit around with some incredible, some of the people that you see, oh yeah, whether it is Brian Blessed or whether it is Sir Paul Nurse who's, you know, this great kind of, you know, he's fantastic. Sir Paul Nurse, I think I told that story where I had a lovely evening where, you, you, when you're actually hanging around with a Nobel Prize winner and you think, I really normally feel like a fucking idiot but now I'm in a new level of, of stupidity <laughs> and then you see that Nobel Prize winner unable to work out how a taxi door opens and you kind of go, there was a purpose that I evolved as well and that was to go, it's like that, support. <laughs> Thank you. And that's it. You know, I've, um, so, uh, that chance, and it's a very, I, I find it really genuinely very, uh, oh, I, again, I think it comes back to all the things that I find most exciting, which are People who are really passionate, and I think the people on our show who guest on the show who are best uh, are people who they really want to talk about why they've gone into whatever particular you know, whether it's epigenetics or whether it's particle physics, quantum cosmology, whatever it might be, and. Uh, and, it's, and what I love as well is sometimes when you've done some of the science shows at Christmas you've done a lot of the science shows at Christmas and some of the scientists will sometimes go well, I, I don't really know what I should do because I'm not very funny <laughs> and you go Well, you're not really meant to be funny because there's lots of people like Richard Herring who will be doing the funny thing they'll be doing their Ferrero Rocher routine <laughs> and, which is a very good routine and then you Richard Dawkins will go on and talk about spiders webs <laughs> can I do some cock gags you can do a couple of cock gags <laughs> as long as they've been peer reviewed <laughs> Via Richard Herring's talking cockbook. I've read it cover to cover.
0: The uh <laughs> Do you think it's possible to be too clever and know too much stuff? I think it's possible to believe that you're too clever. I think that's, you know, a different...
2: I, I don't know if this... I'm, I think the moment that you start to be excited about knowledge and knowing things, there is a point where that is going to increase, you know, existential angst and, you know, fear of, of you know finite nature and all that kind of thing. But I don't think it's a particularly agonising. I, I once did a thing with it. Will Self was on, I think it was Loose Ends on Radio 4, and he'd just done a documentary with Carl Pilkington. Carl Pilkington interviewing people who are really clever and saying that it's probably ruined their lives, it's better to be a bit stupid. And Will Self, he just sat there and went, I mean, he's just an idiot. And, I, and he looked genuinely frustrated and possibly angry. But even I, I think he probably knew it was kind of a reasonably comedic documentary, but still, I mean, he's so... It was a really... You know, Will Selford is angriest, cutting away at his cock and balls to write another short story. The, um, and... But uh, I don't think it is possible. But I think it's possible to be very arrogant and believe that you... um, That that moment where you just go, oh, bloody hell, there's so much to know. And that's one of the reasons I'm stopping stand-up again is I just want to... re. Because, as you know, you get asked to do... When something happens in the news, oh, hello, Richard Herring, Uh, we're from a radio station and we'd like you to talk about this. And you sometimes think, well, it's it's good publicity for my show in Cumbria, but at the same time, (laughs) I don't really have any interest in this. And suddenly... uh, you know, it's like question time, you see comics on question time. And some of them could be very, very good on it, but comics have that ability to have an appearance of knowledge and a confidence as they deliver what inside they're going, I've no fucking idea if this is true. I have no idea if this is about strange quarks, charm quarks. I don't even know what a fucking quark is. But as long as I keep talking and looking like this, people will go, He's very wise on quarks You know, so that i think that's one of the you know the dangers of not probably, realizing you're a fucking idiot
0: well maybe it's probably most i mean a lot of people that you get on tv are just good at talk, you know, experts on anything are just good at talking about the way Well, the thing I would
2: say about Brian Cox is he really does love those things. He's not faking it. He doesn't, uh, you know, there was like photosynthesis. Bloody hell did he bang on about that for ages. It was like, (laughs) he didn't like biology, but once he found out there was quantum behaviour in photosynthesis, every time we were in a minibus there, we go and the thing is, you say,
1: oh, I know!
2: But that's great. It's like, he doesn't just go, I know loads about physics and look at this great hair, which some people are now saying they believe he He's deliberately dying grey, bits of it grey, as if to give him this hint of alluring mortality.
0: <laughs> Is there a god? And if not, where did all this stuff come from? <laughs> Which god do you want? I don't know. I don't mind. I just want to know which one. It, well, I'd like to know which one I it reckon is. it's Odin. I reckon yeah. if you have to, I,
2: I, I'm quite keen on Odin as a yeah. god. So I think if I'm gonna, if there's any god, it's Odin, and he's yeah. not happy with you, Richard Herring.
0: No, it makes sense. The, I mean, I, that's why going back over my many shows. The Hercules Terrace ones about the way that the Greek and Roman gods at least make sense of the universe because it doesn't make sense that one god, a perfect gods, made an imperfect world. I don't know if that's even possible. If something perfect can create something imperfect, but with the Roman gods it might make, makes sense doesn't it, there's all these competing gods and stuff goes wrong because they're all trying to fuck each other up and they're and they're childish, and they're like d- dicking around with people. That kind of makes sense of the world. <laughs> well, those, are that's the that's what I think is does. a
2: really intriguing thing. About I, I do find it harder and harder now when I have had to go to churches, or uh, the other day I had to go to like a religious school, and there is just that little moment where I see the crucifixes up there, and there is something inside me which goes, I don't mind. You know, it's not. I'm, I'm not. I don't have a problem if people have got a kind of nice little liberal belief in deities or whatever. There's a bit where the older I get, the more I go. This is really fucking wonky. This is really. <laughs> bizarre to me that this is still there and I love Quakers and I love you, well I love the Unitarians most because I've done a few Unitarian gigs and the fact you don't even have to believe in God to be a Unitarian, <laughs> the fact is that loose, which just, we'll just meet up,
0: you know, and then <laughs>
2: just be nice, okay be nice, that's it, and I, I did one of their gigs where I was the warm up to their, their service, right, so an hour long warm up before, bed. and they have hymns which are basically hymns about and then humans built a machine in 1742, and it- <laughs> It's all these things about how to, you know, the ploughing and ingenuity. Looking through a telescope, seeing the stars, it's a big, big universe. And so... And the, their reading was from Dennis Potter's Seeing the Blossom. You know, today's reading comes from... who's. I'll do the part of Melvin Bragg. And... Uh, and that, I, I, but I, when I did, it, uh, they borrowed someone's Baptist church, and just before I started, they went, "We will take the cross down before you go on, because you never know; it might get into the papers in Hove." <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, so so Odin is. Uh, Odin. But I do find it. I, I I don't have a problem with it. But I, the older I got, the the more I find it.
0: But the, th- the problem I have with the Big Bang, and I talked at some length in one of my uh, other shows about this with an uh, expert on the subject. But I don't understand where, where the what was there before, and where that came, where did the from? But that's the bit that becomes from?
2: really difficult: is the fact that there are things
0: that we are not really. I've,
2: I've imagined it's very very hard to imagine there was a, a well to even say there was a time when there was no time. Yeah. So there is no universe. There is no time. There what is no time place. Was there is when, no... there was,
0: when there wasn't any time. What was the time? It was just before time. <laughs> just before. Then, so right. What, one second to there being time, two seconds before (laughs) there would still have been some time. Exactly. No, there's no time. There's no time. (laughs) Marcus Chown said he got very angry with you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) um, But that is, and I think that's kind of delightful and very, I mean, my son now, who's seven years old, he's begun to think about these ideas of Big Bang and how it might have worked and whatever, and you you have these questions. And I still find the idea of, the billions of years that you have laid out behind you and then the possibility of, well, the fact that, you know, this this solar system only has a certain amount of time. That moment you go, oh, my God, there's only 4.5 billion years left. And you kind of (laughs) almost go, oh, bloody hell, that's not far off, is it? And then you go, oh, yeah, except all life on Earth and all the whole kind of exists to the planet Earth and the sun. That happened over 4.5. This is probably still quite a lot of time, but that idea that's i those moments where like evolution like the idea of self-consciousness i find self-consciousness such uh, most animals just get by with having no idea they even <laughs> exist yeah they eat and they fuck and they try and survive and then somewhere along the line we start to recognize ourselves in a mirror and then the advertising industry <laughs> so it's you know it's
0: it's kind of it can be it's it's a problematic thing it is I just want the answers. That's all I want, Robin. That's, you know, just you're the same as the religious people because they just go, just say, oh, it happened. And then the magic thing happened. <laughs> that was it. It's just the same. It is the same, actually. That was same. a
2: very convincing argument. Thank
0: you. I will, um, I'll ask you one more question and then we'll go because, you know, <laughs> people will have missed the emergency questions and I think you'll be good at this emergency question. If you, I'm, I'm just slightly adapting. If you had a finger that could travel through time, but just your finger... What would you do with it? Where would you go and what would, you, where, what would your finger do in time? Past, future, present, Not probably not worth doing present, but it would be able to travel in time and space, so you could do something in the present.
2: I would send it to Galileo's recently removed finger, which is okay. still in the museum, and the fingers would meet... And then in years to come people would believe I'd prescient, presciently <laughs> imagined the future of the Southbank show. Okay. <laughs> so that would be
0: great, and then you could walk past that and then do put that in your show. Yeah. Say, and I created the title of the, the South Bank show.
2: And then I'd end by punching a melon that represented Melvin Pragg's face <laughs> before breaking into dancing in the street by Martha <laughs> Reeves and Vandellos and get some very
0: poor reviews again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you will come back to doing stand up. But if not not if you don't want to
2: no but I really like there's no negativity about stand up it was just that point of I think I overdid it Yeah, I've well, been showing off for a long time and it was time to have a little bit of a down.
0: Definitely over. you do a lot you do too much and it is really hard and I think as you get older it's really hard it's just the travel and everything is wearing though I, I sort of enjoy the shows much more now when I'm I am love that I, I, I don't yeah. think
2: I've ever enjoyed stand up more than I do now <laughs> which is typical because that's the way it always works doesn't it oh I really miss that you know, again it returns that idea which is everyone is looking forward to something and everyone is remembering something fondly, it's only when you're there that it seems shit. You know, that's the... And I actually, though, at the moment in touring, and I I think I'm getting better as a stand-up. You know, I don't think... I'm certainly not as bad as I was in 1997. I'm going to have some bad nights. That's the thing as well, that ability where you go... uh, as long as it, you know, when you're having good shows and the, everything's you think oh, I love stand up and then you have one that's a bit even a little bit bad just but just something went a bit wonky the audience didn't even hate you or anything like that it just wasn't and you go i fucking useless pathetic isn't it what pathetic everyone, sitting there everyone sat there going stupid old man whereas now they're going stupid old men you know, and that's, that was one of the reasons that I decided to give up was basically just the kind of the Waldorf and the Statler in my head were getting so loud and I thought, like, when I was out in Australia... I had nights... I was out in L.A. We did a, a, an American tour of the Infinite Monkey Cage. And there was a night where... Round at Eric Idle's house, right? Eric Idle, who... Fucking Eric Idle. And just having dinner with Jeff Lynn and Steve Martin. And I just sat there going, The fuck am I doing here? This is ridiculous. This is... Uh, I should be back in Berkhamsted at the moment. There's, I wonder what's in Oxfam. I don't know if this is right for me at all. <laughs> I'm really worried. I feel I'm under a lot of pressure because there's fucking Steve Martin there, isn't there? This is, uh, am I eating this in the right way? Is Eric Idle judging me? <laughs> you know, all of these things. What's, what's really on the inside of Jeff Lynne's dark glasses? All of these. That, and to have that moment of going, I'm not sure I should be. be not, not, not sure I should be there because they're all great pit. Oh, they are. I mean, that's. A, but the other side of it going, I should probably be at home, actually. I, do, I just shouldn't <laughs> be doing this. Silly. And yet I'm meeting people who. Were my heroes.
0: Yeah, but it, it, you know, I think if you don't feel like that, that's when it's a problem. I think you know, I think the people who don't, who get into those situations, think, yep I should be here. Uh, you know, oh and no, that, but it's not. It's a separate not
2: being here. It's I not it is, one. I obviously, I'm there, going, I shouldn't be here because no, these people are. But it's the other bit of going. I probably shouldn't really be touring at the moment. <laughs> I probably should be at home. I should pick my son up from school. Yeah, you know,
0: that's it's all of that. Those those, kind those of things. Those things are very important, and it, you know, and it I is, felt
2: much the same when I worked with Sue Pollard. <laughs> <laughs> Still one of my favourite moments. I did a, uh, it was, the play was called, what's it called? That Showbiz. And uh, it was uh, written by Jimmy Perry. And on the first night, it, on, on the run through, it turned out it was about six and a half hours long. And so they had to cut it very, very quickly. So no one knew who was on when, which scene had disappeared, or whatever. And this wonderful moment Sue Pollard singing a sad song about love. And that's why he loves me. Fade out, walk off stage. Where's me fucking costume? <laughs> Still mic'd
0: up, an absolute delight. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's worked with them all from super. Yeah, I wish I said say. the bit at the end because it now looked like I was showing off, but it was meant to be. But it's just, it cut, cut that bit. No, no way. No, 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 no. I'm gonna if we cut it, I'm gonna get everyone in the audience just to tell everyone that they said it. Which bit do you want to cut? Just a bit about because now it feels like being a wanker. Just no, go. Oh, I, I was don't. in a. I was in an amazing place and I met someone. Well, if we do cut it, Ben will be glad because it's near the end. So right. it's very lazy. Yeah. It makes just it, just <laughs> easy. it makes easy for him. Because I kept it all secret for <laughs> ages because next, that night, I wanted to fucking tweet.
2: I'm in Beverly Hills. I've just been in the Hollywood fucking Hills. I sat there and I watched Jeff Lynne and Eric Idle play the banjoleli while Steve Martin applauded, right? And none of them knew that George Formby was given the Order of Lenin by Stalin. So that was my... That was the, those. You know that bit where you go, I don't know what I've got to add to this. I wonder if Steve Mine, the banjo fan, <laughs> knows that George Formby was given... And that's genuinely true, The Order yeah. of Lenin by Stalin. He some? also didn't know that Jean-Paul Sartre had very, very beautiful blonde yeah. hair. You know that bit where you got emerging right, I'm with a philosopher. Get me Jean-Paul Sartre's beautiful blonde hair thing, right? Jean-Paul Sartre was a little boy. As, as you know, not a great face. Not a great, you know. And, uh, but no one realised, he had this really lovely curly blonde hair. And uh, then when his mum was out, his granddad went, you look too girlish, we've had enough of this, took him to the barber's, uh, had all his hair cut off, and when his mum came back, she basically went, "Ah! <laughs> right, seven years, she's gone, my beautiful angel, what the fuck is that? <laughs> went upstairs, didn't come down for two days, and thus existentialism. <laughs> so they <that> just...
0: <laughs> But now, if we have to cut the other bit, we can't put that bit in either. So you haven't been very helpful, Robin. No, I make it more difficult. Make so. it, that, it more difficult for 25 years.
1: <laughs>
0: so we're not going to cut it. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive round of applause for Robin Ince. Herring the Square Theatre Podcast with me Richard Herring and my guest Robin Ince. The music as always is by Pest if you can call it music, it's just bang 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 as far as I can hear. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre and go Faster Strike all their assistance in making this also thank you to our producer ben walker who i'm very indebted to i'm also indebted to ian messeter the creator of this podcast from its early days in the 1950s this is a go fuzz and sky potato production for the internet Hey there, thanks for watching this week's episode of Richard Chang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. There's no more of it. If you don't want to see me speaking anymore, don't watch this bit. This is just me doing some speaking. If you don't like that, don't watch this bit. I'm just, I'm just, that's just to help you out, you people at home. Uh, so, the uh, this week's episode has been partially sponsored by Jean Power, or Jean Power. It could, be, it could be a French man called Jean, or a UK woman called Jean, or, you know, a UK man called Jean, or a UK or a French woman called jean's i don't know it could be anything and it's like it's j-e-a-n power uh, and what he or she wants me to say i'm gonna say she oh and mitch i know all about you if you've enjoyed these, go to GoFastStrike.com slash badges. You can pay a pound a month or just a one-off donation or more than a pound a month and help us make more internet content. You can buy a DVD at com. Go to com slash gigs and you can find out where I'm gigging and come, maybe come to London. Here's the Les Square Theatre to see me do one of my 12 shows uh, that I'm doing throughout august and september here or come and see one of the Leicester square theater podcasts less for all the information about that as well so i am indebted to the following people who helped us to pay for filming the podcasts they are matthew smith ewan duncan rob applin darren foot colin anderson raymond Harpney, kevin tipcorn steve mash dean ratland gainer wilson adam queck Stuart Fawcett, Tim Turner, Julian Benton, Thomas Baldwin, Lauren Pilkington, Matthew Blackburn, Neil Martin, Jack Burton, Fraser Levy, Gina Lynn, Paul Jeffrey, Rob Ward, Robert Tang Richardson, Leo Vigoda, Carol Forster, Kawa, Cole McGonagall, Aurora Watters, Jake, Heather Henderson, Simon Carl, Christine Sato, David Collier, Jijin John, Roy Owens, Matthew Poynton. And Ian Seckington, MEP, MEP, could be MEP, could be MEP, or could be Ian Secondton, MEP if he's an MEP. Richard Richard Grundy, Thomas Phillips, Alex DeYong, Matt LeHay, or Lee, or Lehe, Alex, Mark Saltmarsh, come off it. Charlie Carrick and M Lau, or Low, Who knows? Thank you to you all. You will be rewarded in heaven, which does not exist.
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Thanks again for listening to the podcast. richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Go com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.